Sports. I'm John Ford coming to you from CNBC's Technology Executive Council Summit in New York. And I'm Morgan Brennan at CNBC headquarters. It's a make or break hour for tech as Microsoft, Alphabet, Texas Instruments and Snap get ready to report quarterly results in just a few moments. We will have live reaction and analysis of those names, plus Visa and more. And a first on CNBC interview with Qualcomm CEO Cristiano Amon. He's going to discuss the new chips the company announced this hour, including, hey, an ARM chip for PCs. Remember the market action because of NVIDIA headlines yesterday. Now, as we await the earnings, let's bring in Vital Knowledge founder Adam Crisofuli. Adam, I'm specifically wondering about the impact potentially of these results tonight on overall trading tomorrow, given you know the, the, the positive uh, close for the indices, and not only the, the numbers themselves, but how much the reaction after hours to these results might tell us about where investor sentiment is. Yeah, so just from a, a mechanical point of view, obviously these companies are going to be crucial because they dominate the indices. So, um, you know, we're going to be watching them very closely. With the first week and a half of the Q3 earnings season was a little bit underwhelming. There were a number of red flags. The results that came out this morning and last night, um, they did look a little bit better. So you had a number of large cap out performance hey, Adam? today. Adam? Yep. Got to interrupt you here. Microsoft's uh, numbers are out. The stock is popping after hours. Let's go to Steve Kovac with the numbers, Steve. Yeah, John, it's popping because of beats on the top and bottom line. Solid beats at that. Let's go over EPS, $2.99 versus the 265 Street was looking for. Revenue is also a nice beat there, $56.52 billion versus the $54.49 billion the Street was looking for. Digging through the report now, John, get, get you some Azure numbers and other stuff to look at in a bit. Well, uh, Adam, I was just in the process of asking you about this. We have the stock, at least on this initial uh, uh, headline, moving higher by more than 5%. How much is this going to matter, once again, for the markets potentially tomorrow? I think it's crucial. So I, like I was saying, the first week and a half of rainy season was underwhelming. The numbers that we got this morning um, were a lot better. And so I think the bar now has been knocked lower because of how the season started off. And if the results continue as they did this morning, and Microsoft is a good example so far, obviously we have to wait for the conference call and get guidance later tonight. Um, but this is certainly going to be encouraging for the broader tape. And just mechanically, these names dominate the indices. So however they trade um, will have uh, you know, an enormous impact on the broader S&P and NASDAQ. Okay. We've got earnings from Texas Instruments as well. Christina Partsinevelis has those for us. Christina. Drew, you were seeing a mixed report. Revenues coming in less than anticipated at $4.53 billion on EPS of $1.85. That was a beat. The street was anticipating $1.82. But the weakness is really coming from the Q4 outlook, which came in lower. The range for EPS and revenues, both lower than what the street was anticipated. And just one line, the company saying revenue is flat, sequentially decreased 14% from a year ago. Automotive growth continued and industrial weakness broadened. So those are the two issues right there. Q4 outlook weak, mixed report, only uh, a, a EPS beat. Back over to you guys. All right, Adam, Adam, uh, stay with us. And we're also going to bring in CNBC senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli as well. Mike, actually, I I'm going to go to you first. Uh, we just heard from Texas Instruments. The auto piece of that really got my attention, given yeah. what we saw with GM hitting fresh 52-week lows earlier today. Tesla popping, as you see. EV plans there scale back. And, of course, impact of the strike 
All right. We've got more earnings before we go there. <laughs> Alphabet. Dear Jabosa has those numbers. Hey, D. Hey, Morgan. Alphabet shares, they are down more than 6% in the after hours, though it is a beat on the top and bottom line. Third quarter revenue coming in at nearly $77 billion, exactly coming in at 76.69 billion versus 75.97 billion. So a beat here. Also on the bottom line, EPS coming in at $1.55 versus $1.45 expected. What may be hitting the stock are these cloud numbers, guys. I'm just going to give them to you because I have them. Uh, $8.64 billion was expected in terms of revenue. $8.41 billion came in. That is a little bit of a miss there and could be the reason for some of the weakness. Remember that Google does not give guidance. We'll continue to dig through this and bring you more. Back to you. Okay. Those shares are down 5% right now. Dear Jabosa, thank you. Mike Santoli, I'm going to go back yeah. to you because we got Texas Instruments, we got Microsoft still going through some of the results there, and now we've got Alphabet with at least it looks like a miss in the cloud division. Yeah, and that was the one, you know, we just finished uh, talking to D a few uh, minutes ago uh, that Google was the one where people seem to be pretty crowded into. The stock cape went out a percent and a half below its highs. It really has uh, shown a lot of upside. So that's by way of saying seems like maybe the threshold was higher uh, for people to perceive a real beat as a beat. You get some color about uh, some of the below the line stuff, I think, on the call. Probably going to round out the picture. But I get why the reflex was lower when uh, there were high hopes embedded in the price. Yeah, Adam, I wonder what you think about the difference in how Alphabet and Microsoft have been trading, certainly recently, but overall this year. As Mike just mentioned, I think uh, Alphabet itself was just about a percent and a half from 52-week highs. Microsoft was well less than that. And Alphabet had a stronger session leading into these earnings than Microsoft did. So given those two things, do we need to calibrate the after-hours reaction, perhaps based on expectations or no? Yeah, I definitely think that the bar was a little bit higher for Alphabet than it was for Microsoft. Um, you know, I'm still interested to see kind of the details on Microsoft's Azure business, but they implied on the last quarter that the AI ramp for this fiscal year would be a little bit more back-end loaded. And so I think people kind of lowered their expectations on Microsoft um, heading into this quarter versus Alphabet. And that kind of explains some of the discrepancy that you're seeing in the after hours price action. Yeah, it looks like cloud revenue for Microsoft Santoli, uh, up 25%, and it says uh, server products, well, revenue in intelligent cloud was $24.3 billion. That increased 19%. Server products and cloud services revenue increased 21%. That was driven by Azure and other cloud services revenue growth of 29%. Uh, so certainly a juxtaposition potentially to be had here between what we're seeing, at least in these early uh, combing through of results from Microsoft versus Alphabet at a time where, at least until recently, these two had been trading in lockstep, but Alphabet, at least from a share gain perspective, yeah. has been outperforming since the last earnings. Yes, although at a much smaller base, I think that's the difference. Microsoft might be considered a little more the bellwether for the, what the overall industry might be expecting. And, uh, you know, it's always seemed to me that you pay close to 30 times uh, earnings for Microsoft if you choose to because they're going to figure it out. <laughs> you don't have to worry quite as much about whether they're going to uh, make the turn correctly over the course of a quarter. So understand the reaction. Uh, we'll see again. Microsoft guidance on the call. You still have to keep yourself open to the idea that uh, these narratives can uh, can switch back uh, in a hurry. Yeah, Adam, a couple of things in these Microsoft numbers uh, jump out to me. Of the major categories, productivity, business processes, intelligent computing, more personal computing, they, were, they beat 
uh, expectations on each of those, probably the most in intelligent computing, but even more personal computing, where Windows, you know, the PC-related business lives, they beat by almost a billion dollars versus expectations. But looking at some of the smaller divisions, LinkedIn in particular, LinkedIn revenue was up, but just 8%, and perhaps speaks to why there might be some belt, well, well why there is some belt tightening there with uh, Microsoft having announced some layoffs, even in engineering in LinkedIn, uh, perhaps trying to drive efficiency even as there is growth and relative strength across Microsoft's whole business portfolio? Yeah, no, I think, you know, the internet overall, the, the LinkedIn and then um, and the search business is kind of call options for the story, really. It's not so central to the narrative. Um, so if they do well, investors kind of celebrate, you know, there was a little bit of optimism a few months ago um, about Bing partnering with, with uh, OpenAI and search didn't seem doesn't seem to have moved the needle dramatically. Um, but you know, by far the big focus is on productivity and, and the cloud business as far as kind of driving those stock price and the narrative forward. Um, so I think delving into those details is going to be really important. And on the PCs, you know, there's been a lot of indications that we're coming out of a, a very aggressive inventory correction in that industry. Um, you know, there are, mm. you had Gartner numbers out, you've got IDC numbers out, all suggesting that the market, that market is starting to rebound now going forward. And there may, may actually also be okay. AI driver to the PC market too. Adam, hang tight. We got Visa earnings out as well. Kate Rooney has those numbers. Kate. Hey, John. So it's a beat here for Visa. They're also announcing a 16% dividend increase and a $25 billion buyback. Getting to some of the numbers here, adjusted EPS coming in nine cents better than expected at $2.33 revenue of $8.61 billion. That was a beat here as well, up 11% year over year. They are giving guidance for the fiscal year. As I said, this is Q4, so we've got some full year numbers here. They're looking for high single digit to low double digit revenue growth. Estimates were 10.4% growth uh, for that revenue number. No EPS guidance. We've got a quote here from the CEO saying they're looking at resilient consumer spending. They also talk about uh, recovery of cross-border travel. That is key here as well. Payments volume up 9% and then cross-border, that international business up 16 here, John. Visa's up more than 2% after hours. Back to you. Okay. Kate Rooney, I'll, I'll take it from you. And that's certainly been Thanks, a theme Morgan. we've seen uh, since the last, at least the last quarter uh, with the credit card companies, uh, the Visas and MasterCards and Amexes of the world. Snap earnings are out. Julia Borston has the numbers. Julia. Hey, Morgan. That's right. Snap beating on the top and bottom line. The company reporting an unexpected profit of two cents per share rather than the four cent per share loss that analysts had anticipated. We see Snap shares are up 20 percent or now about 19 percent in after hours trading. Now, digging into this, revenues beating in beating expectations coming in at one point one nine billion dollars rather than the one point one one billion estimated the company saying that they are seeing the impact of improvements they've made to their ad platform boost results faster than anticipated. Daily active users were pretty much in line with expectations. Fourth quarter guidance looks a little bit mixed. Snap projecting fourth quarter revenues in a range of 1.32 billion to 1.38 billion that is ahead of the midpoint of 1.33 billion um, that analysts are expecting. But Snap cautioning that profits could be less than Wall Street expectations giving a range of 65 to 105 million versus the consensus 103 million estimate, snap flagging uncertainty around the Hamas-Israel war, saying it caused some brand advertisers to pause campaigns. The company also announcing a half a billion dollar share repurchase program. Guys? All right. Those shares up 16% right now. Julia Boriston, thank you.
Uh, Adam, Chris Afuli, I'm going to go back to you on this one. I mean, we tend to see big moves in one direction or the other whenever Snap reports earnings. How much does this tee us up for Meta tomorrow? It's really hard to say. There haven't been, uh, you know, there's not really a great correlation between the two companies. Snap is notoriously inconsistent in terms of quarterly results that they post. Um, so it's really hard to say. You know, Meta, Alphabet, TikTok, uh, and then Amazon are really kind of pulling away as far as online advertising is concerned. It's really concentrated in those companies. So if you want to really get a read on Meta, I think Alphabet's going to be a much more important, uh, more accurate barometer than Snap. Um, so it'll be really interesting on the call. And it looks like the advertising businesses at Alphabet perform decently. It's more just the cloud business that underperformed. Um, but Alphabet, I think, is much more important to, as a read across for the whole industry than Snap. Hmm. All right, now let's get back to our Steve Kovac for some more on Microsoft. Steve? Yeah, John, I really want to point out this Azure growth number, uh, 29% beating the estimates of 26%. This is something investors are really watching for, John, because we saw that growth rate just decelerate over the last two years. You might remember it wasn't long ago. It was growing 48% quarter every single quarter. Uh, it's dipped down to... Uh, uh, 29%, but again, it's re-accelerating for what we've seen better than expectations, and that could also be why we see shares climbing even higher than what I was with you just a few minutes ago. And then I also want to point out Windows revenue. This is the, the money that Microsoft makes every time a third party sells a computer, the Windows licensing revenue. It's returned to growth. Now it's up 4% over last year, and that's easier comps, of course, because we know people have not been buying PCs the last year and a half or so, but it is a positive sign that there is some return to growth for the Windows OEM, John. All right, Steve Kovac, thank you. Mike Santoli, Steve points out uh, something interesting here, Azure growth at 29% versus 26% expected, while Google yeah. Cloud turned in cloud revenue of uh, 8.41 billion versus 8.64 expected. Is that, what kind of setup is that for Amazon? Yeah. Uh, where does it set the bar for AWS? I mean, I guess they, they gotta be closer to Microsoft than Google here. Yeah, well, I was going to say, uh, you know, help me answer that because, you know, is it about Microsoft being a good tell on the end market demand and the fact that customers maybe have, are through that period of really trying to tighten up their spend or uh, is Microsoft getting more share? Uh, I guess that's the question uh, in terms of where it is. I think it'll probably be taken a little more as a net positive, maybe encouraging going into Amazon's numbers. Okay. Adam, I want to get your thoughts, especially since we know that these mega cap names have driven the market and the gains in the market more broadly this year. But even if you just look at the trading we saw today, which was very earnings correlated with uh, many other types of companies in other types of industries this morning, uh, how do you expect this to play out tomorrow? And how does it set us up, given the fact that we did close in the S&P above uh, the 200-day moving average today, which is a key technical level? Yeah, I mean, I'd say today was probably the best day of the earnings season. Now, we still have a lot to go, but you had this morning a number of, um, you know, large-cap non-tech companies, whether it be tr uh, 3M, GE, Raytheon, Verizon, all had healthy results, all had decent guidance. And now after the close, um, you know, with the exception of, of Google, which seems to be confined to that one unit, but Visa, Microsoft, the Google Alphabet, the Google advertising businesses all put up healthy numbers, um, all came ahead of expectations. Certainly, I think, very encouraging. And again, after the first week and a half of the Q3 season, which was underwhelming, um, you know, if the rest of the season looks like today, it's certainly going to be a big, um, a big shot in the arm for the market. 
Okay. Adam Christofuli, thanks for joining us. Mike Santoli, we will see you in a little bit. We're also going to be breaking down Microsoft and Alphabet and Snap in much more detail throughout this hour. So we will have that reaction to all of today's after hours action, including what an analyst and a shareholder of Microsoft and Alphabet make of those results as those stocks you see right there on your screen move in opposite directions. And later, he's been called private equities corporate turnaround artist. David Musifer of Advent International joins us in a rare interview with where he sees opportunity right now. Plus, Qualcomm making some big chip announcements as we speak from the Snapdragon Summit in Maui. CEO Cristiano Amon is stepping off stage to talk to us here on Overtime First before he's going to go back on stage after he speaks with us. That's all happening when Overtime comes back in two. Welcome back to Overtime. Both Microsoft and Alphabet reporting third quarter earnings just moments ago. You can see the opposite reaction in those stocks right now. Joining us to break it down is CFRA Research Senior Equity Analyst Angelo Zeno and Griffin Asset Management Portfolio Manager Doug Famigletti. Doug holds a large position in Microsoft and a small one in Alphabet and joins us for the first time here. So welcome to you, Doug. Uh, I will start with you, Doug. Um, As an investor in these companies, what you think of the results that we've gotten so far? Well, I mean, I think the Microsoft results um, were, were great. I mean, the Azure um, revenue growth, I mean, I think that, you know, the estimates were more in the 26% range and coming in at 29%. So that's um, positive. It's no surprise to me that the stocks are moving the way that they are. Um, both are up uh, a lot year to date. Um, my, uh, Alphabet up quite a bit more, uh, 57, 58%. So coming in with a lot of expectations. I think both of them are pretty reasonably priced given their long-term growth, but I think the the cloud business for Alphabet was a little disappointing. And given the fact that it's a much smaller percentage of their total revenue versus Microsoft, which is 22% of their revenues is Azure, whereas uh, with Alphabet, it's more like 13, 14%. So I think uh, growth there being uh, disappointing uh, on a relative basis is probably what's hitting the stock right now. Okay. Angelo, do you see it the same way? Is that why we're seeing both of these names move in opposite directions, especially when you see Microsoft Azure up 29 percent and representing a reacceleration of that business? Yeah, no, I, I would completely agree with all of that. I mean, you kind of look at the numbers here. I mean, the 22 percent growth rate in terms of, uh, you know, Alphabet's cloud business is definitely a, a big disappointment, a deceleration from the 28 percent growth rate we saw in both Q1 and Q2 of this year. And, um, you know, completely uh, different than what we're seeing right now on, on the Microsoft side of things, which is that now finally starting to see an acceleration on the cloud side of things. I will say, as, as far as Alphabet is concerned, the positive here is the digital ad spend landscape is looking a lot healthier than I think most anticipated out there. You're looking at search growth of about 11%. You're looking at YouTube growth at, at 12%. So as far as the digital ad spend landscape, that, that does bode well also for, for Meta going into tomorrow night's results. Uh, and as we kind of go into 2024, there are you know still catalysts as far as the digital ad uh, landscape is concerned, as far as kind of you know a, a major election out there um, and, and the Olympics as well. So um, I think that's something that investors should continue to be excited about as far as Alphabet is concerned with the sell-off here. Doug, on Microsoft, what key question should investors really have about what drove Azure growth? I mean, I'm I'm also noting commercial products and Dynamics products were were pretty strong for Microsoft as well. And, And what might allow them to determine perhaps what made a difference between Microsoft and Google Cloud and what might matter 
for Amazon? Yeah, well, I, I think that the you know, given the two reports today, uh, the number I mean, you have um, a much smaller base at Alphabet for cloud, and it's it's been decelerating growth and lower than Azure, um, which is a much bigger percentage, a much bigger size. So market share gains, and of course, Amazon being the largest, Microsoft two and. Uh, and Google three, uh, you know, is it market share gains, um, you know, overall, you know, growth in the market as a whole, but also, you know, what type of mar uh, market share is uh, Microsoft stealing in the cloud or taking in the cloud, so. All right, uh, Doug, yeah. Angelo, thank you. Thank you, John. Uh, now, Texas, Inch Texas Instruments, uh, that chip company making a move lower in after hours after a revenue miss. But meantime, fellow chip maker Qualcomm just unveiling a lot of chip and AI-related news at its annual Snapdragon Summit. Uh, joining us now, fresh off the stage in a first on CNBC interview, Qualcomm CEO Cristiano Amon. Cristiano, I do want to note you are in Maui. Uh, that is important, of course, uh, to, to that place right now, given the, the tragedy that they've just been through with those fires. But I want to start asking about Snapdragon X Elite and your move, continuing move, into ARM-based CPUs for Windows computing. Investors were paying a lot of attention to this yesterday with an NVIDIA headline in this direction. You've got some actual news that you're putting out on it. Why should, if investors should pay more attention to Qualcomm's ARM chips than, in, uh, than NVIDIA's potential chips, why is that? Very good. By the way, great talking to you. I wish you were here with us in Maui. It's really uh, great to be here for the Snapdragon Summit. Look, um, this is actually great news. I'm going to unpack it for you, John. First of all, the NVIDIA announcement, it's, it's awesome because what it really shows is what we've been on this journey for a number of years. PCs are changing to an ARM compatible instruction set, and that is the whole story about Windows and Snapdragon in this journey we've been on Microsoft. Today is a very special Snapdragon Summit for us because we basically unveil what we've been busy working on. We announced our new SOC for next generation AI PCs. It's Snapdragon Elite X, and there is a new sheriff in town. Right now is the fastest CPU on a single-threaded performance than anything available from ARM. It exceeds the performance of the M2 Max and also exceeds the performance of the fastest uh, laptop gaming you can get on the X86, the Intel i9-13 980HX. So we're very excited. We've been busy at work. We've been changing Qualcomm from a communications company to a connected processor company in AI, and investors should definitely pay attention to that. Cristiano, i got to press you on this because uh, th there was real market share movement when Apple came out with the M1 processors. And a big part of Apple's story on why the performance of those machines, those ARM-based machines, was so good is that they control on their machines the chip, the operating system, and a lot of the applications. In the Windows world, it's more distributed. So are you going to achieve the same kind of battery life on, on a Qualcomm-based system, ARM-based system, say running Adobe software, Photoshop, Premiere, et cetera, that, that we're getting on M2s today? Is, is that your claim, or is this a different kind of benchmark claim? 
No, actually, this is a great question. I will love answering this question. Look, Apple done a wonderful job, I think, with the M series. And when I think about the next uh, transition of compute, we've been talking about the convergence between mobile and compute for a long time. And that's what we're doing. The reason we have a very close partnership with Microsoft, you should think about Qualcomm as the in-house silicon partner of Microsoft. We've been developing this together. And what we're actually doing right now is enabling the next generation computing performance in Windows, not only moving to a modern mobile architecture, but also having the industry-leading AI performance for the Microsoft Copilot. That's a huge leadership position that you see right now with uh, Microsoft and OpenAI and the ability to run all the things on device. The product we announced today, we can, we can exceed the performance of the M2 Max, but if you actually match the performance, if we, if we peak at the same performance, we do with 30% less power. That means more battery life. But more important is actually you have more room to run pervasive AI models on your uh, neural process unit engine. So it is, we've been okay. waiting for this moment. It's about really transitioning PCs. I know that you're transforming the business, you say, from being not just a communications company to being more than that, but hey, smartphones, still a core product, a very important piece of your business. The Snapdragon announcements that you made are going to have a big impact, potentially. They should on the premium end of the smartphone market. That's been languishing from a demand perspective. So what technology are you bringing, particularly when it comes to AI, that you think is going to make a difference here? Yes, actually, uh, when, when you think about the, the other major announcement that we have at Snapdragon Summit, it's about Gen AI phones. So we, we are announcing today our next flagship, uh, Snapdragon 8, uh, is Gentry, which is basically uh, the leading platform and becoming the platform of choice to run Gen AI models on the device. And you know, I wish I had more time to explain it to you, but what those Gen AI is going to do on smartphones is going to change the user experience. Almost like we see changing from when we went from feature phones to Blackberries to smartphones. The AI is going to be always there and help you with every task, and we're going to start moving from an app-centric world to an app plus cloud and AI world. And, you know, we're hopeful that what this will do will create a new upgrade cycle. We can't really precise the timing, but we're excited that devices with this Gen AI capabilities in phones is actually coming in a couple weeks and throughout 2024. All right, I wish we had more time too, and I wish I were there with you in Maui, but come back for earnings, Cristiano. We'd love to have you on overtime. Good to see you, Cristiano Amon, CEO. Good to see of you Qualcomm. too. Thank you. Great stuff. After the break, the earnings keep rolling in. We'll diagnose what's swaying on one time pandemic darling, Teladoc, when this jam packed hour of overtime returns. Welcome back to Overtime. Teladoc earnings are out. Pippa Stevens has the numbers. Pippa. Hey, Morgan. Those shares are down 4% after a mixed quarter for Teladoc, posting a smaller than expected loss of 35 cents per share, two cents better than estimates. Revenue missing expectations, though, coming in at $660 million, short of the $664 million. The guidance, however, is really what's weighing. Teladoc sees Q4 revenue between $658 and $683 million, against forecasts of $687 million. They also see a per share loss of between 33 and 23 cents, worse than the forecasted 15 cents per share loss. Once again, those shares down 4%. John? Mm, Pippa, thanks. Uh, now let's get back to our Deirdre Bosa with more color from Alphabet's earnings. D. 
Hey, John, I just got off the phone with Alphabet still CFO Ruth Porat. Though remember, she is moving into a new position as soon as she finds that replacement for CFO. I asked her first about cloud missing expectations, and she said that cloud growth was essentially affected by customer cost optimization over the quarter. She did also say that, that there was healthy customer engagement for AI optimized infrastructure and generative AI products. Another area of strength she identified was search advertising, particularly the retail vertical. In terms of costs, they did slow the pace of hiring. They actually set, shed some jobs this quarter. She mentioned that they will continue to slow that pace and they continue to re-engineer the cost base. Um, with regards to her new role, she will be putting more emphasis on other bets and long-term planning. Remember that other bets are the moonshot projects that are still money losing. So it'll be interesting when she moves into that role. Back over to you guys. All right. Shares down 5%. Deirdre Bosa, thank you. We've got breaking news out of Washington now. Emily Wilkins is here with that. Emily. Hey, Morgan. So just hours after Tom Emmer become the, became the Republicans' third choice for nominee for speaker, he has now dropped out. We knew that it was going to be a bit of an uphill climb for him. We knew initially that more than 20 Republicans were concerned about Emmer and not planning to vote for him on the floor. But really, things got much worse when Donald Trump posted on Truth Social, uh, calling out Emmer, saying that he wasn't a real Republican, that he wasn't a real conservative, and raising a lot of concerns about him. And you know, there's still many Republicans here in Congress who are very loyal to the former president. And so now at this point, Emmer has just announced that he will no longer be in the running for the Republican nominee, which means it is once again back to square one, back to where we were this morning, back to where we were really several weeks ago. Um, of course, Mike Johnson has now said that he will get back into the race. Uh, Kevin Hearn, Byron Donalds, those were also members today who were getting a good, good amount of support from their colleagues and could potentially try to run again. And of of course, there's still that plan hanging in the wings to empower Patrick McHenry, the current acting speaker, to be able to pass legislation. Because remember, you have that November 17th deadline when government funding runs out. Plus, you have the White House's request for aid to Israel that a lot of members want to see passed. Morgan? Okay, this just took two days. How many legislative days do we have left until this November 17th deadline where this continuing resolution runs out? Not enough to fully fund the government without having some stopgap funding. I mean, it's going to be way uphill work at this point for Republicans to go. And it's not clear how many days we have just because, you know, they were supposed to be back home in their districts for the past two weeks. But they spent that time here trying to figure this out with the speaker. So it's really unclear at this point what the schedule is going to be, if they're going to be here this weekend, and, and really just how long it's going to go on. It, none of that is clear at this point. It's very uncharted territory. Wow. Uh, three weeks and three days until November 17th. Uh, Emily, thank you. Now, Visa is rising in after-hours trading after topping quarterly estimates on the top and bottom lines. Mike Santoli's back with a closer look at how that stock stacks up versus fintech competitors. Mike? Yeah, John, pretty well. Kind of the revenge of the incumbents is uh, one of the ways to tell this story. This is Visa, MasterCard, as well as Fiserv, which is the old first data plus Fiserv. So these longstanding uh, fintech platforms are really just electronic payments and processing companies. Uh, and that's compared to the fintech-only ETF. That would include stocks like PayPal and Square, which have done even worse over the last three years than that fintech ETF. So my line has always been fintech doesn't really exist uh, as a separate thing, or if it does, it's within uh, the bigger companies. Now, take a look uh, at Visa 
compared to Microsoft. Obviously different businesses, but the market sort of treats them the same way. Uh, consistent, predictable, high quality, very profitable. Uh, uh, and you see this over the last 10 years. They were kind of in sync here. And then you got some liftoff, obviously, uh, from Microsoft right here. Visa was one of the best stocks after its IPO uh, in 2008 for the next 10 years. Microsoft, obviously, kind of playing off a lot more growth drivers, most recently AI and the digital transformation. But look at the valuation side. It has been a lot closer uh, in terms of how this market has treated them uh, in terms of price-earnings ratio, especially here in this period where they were moving more or less in lockstep into the high 20s. Uh, Microsoft really cheap at the beginning, by the way, of the uh, Nadella era. And now, you see, once again, you got that step higher. Visa, certainly still a great company, but it's got its premium compressed. Maybe because longer term, it might have a little bit less leverage to future payment uh, systems and things like that, Morgan. All right. That's a really interesting chart. Kind of speaks to the role that large cap tech is playing uh, as, as being defensive as well. Mike yep. Santoli, thank you. Coming up, the massive PE firm that's flying under the radar. We'll talk to the chairman of Advent Partners, which has nearly $100 billion under management, about where his firm is putting money to work in this volatile market. And we are just under an hour away from Snap's earnings call. We will ask an analyst what he wants to hear from management as that stock gives up its huge post-earnings pop and turns negative, now down about 3%. Be right back. Welcome back to Overtime. It's no surprise amid a rising rate environment, private equity is facing one of the worst years in a decade for exiting investments. That's according to data from PitchBook. Meantime, Blackstone shares dropping earlier this month after reporting a 12% drop in Profit, Advent International, is one of the largest private equity firms with nearly $100 billion in assets under management and says tough environments can breed some of the best opportunities. So joining me here on set, Chairman and Managing Partner David Musifer. David, it's great to have you here. Great to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. Um, is this a good time for Advent or a tough time for Advent, given what we just laid out? Well, it's a, it's a challenging time for certain if you're in the private equity industry more broadly. And so, you know, the, the good news, and I'm an optimist, is that for the Fed, the medicine's working. And so we feel it. And you see uh, the effects and the consumer and some of the challenges out there in the rising cost of capital. And so, obviously, that creates opportunities from the dislocation that you see in some of the markets and the pressure that it creates. But um, more broadly, it's also creating a balanced environment for new investments. Interesting. Um, so I, I had one investment banker recently tell me that the spread between bid and ask is still too wide. Are you finding that valuations need to come down further or are we actually reaching a, a right sized place in this market? That's a great way to describe it. The nature of price discovery is so difficult in this market and so Liquidity is very thin in so many areas of the market today. And so it's really difficult to, to know how to price assets in this environment because you've seen such an increase in the cost of capital. And so I think there are still meaningful gaps out there, and that's what's slowing down M&A volume that's half of what it was uh, traditionally if you look at uh, the volumes this year. And it's making it a lot more challenging for PE firms to exit investments. More challenging to exit investments. Are, are you finding that within your own portfolio? And I guess just as importantly, because I know you've got something like $30 billion that you've raised in the last couple of years. How much of that have you been able to deploy in this market? Are you still waiting on the sidelines? Well, you know, it is a challenging time 
to find great investments, but it doesn't mean that they're, they're not there. They are. And so we're really fortunate because we can be patient and really try to find just the right situation. And so over the past year, actually, we've invested about $7 billion. And so we've put about 30% of uh, the funds that we raised uh, just last year to work. And so we've been able to find some amazing new investments. And so you and I spoke earlier this year about Maxar, which was an exciting deal that we invested in. But we've invested in a host of uh, interesting companies. Another one uh, more recently, Zimmerman, that's an apparel business. Um, and a host of, of businesses along those lines. I do want to go back to Maxar for a moment because in addition to a, a high rate or a rising rate environment, um, we do also have increased geopolitical risks. How does that factor into your investment thesis right now, especially given the fact that, I mean, you have this broader portfolio with many different companies that touch many different industries across many different parts of the world, but you do also have these investments in companies like Maxar that speak specifically to the aerospace and defense environment. Well, I mean, sadly, the aerospace and defense industry have tailwinds because of some of those geopolitical uh, challenges that we see out there. And so it's a much more uncertain world. And Maxar provides Earth intelligence. And so in a lot of respects, uh, some aerospace and defense businesses like that have been some of the unfortunate beneficiaries of some of these challenges. But more broadly, we invest globally. So um, whether it's China, or uh, Latin America or throughout Europe. And I think that you're right. It's a much more difficult environment. And so trying to understand how we believe prospective companies are positioned and then helping them through some of those challenging times. You mentioned consumer. Um, you're also a founding investor, Advents of founding investor in Lululemon. You're a director there as well. What are you seeing, whether it's at that company, which I know is a very strong brand, sort of bucks the trend, um, but what are you seeing more broadly when you do look at the consumer data? Um, there's been a lot of debate about it and this idea that maybe it's starting to crack. I mean, Morgan, it is really hard to get a clean read on exactly what is happening with the consumer, but we're seeing consistent signs of softening. And so uh, across the board, the consumer only has so much disposable income. And in a lot of respects, they've used a lot of those savings that were built up during COVID times. Now, the other thing, and I was listening to a guest earlier today uh, from the home building industry that highlighted that 20% of their new sales were buyers with cash and nearly 50% of the sales by 50 people, 55 and over, were cash. And that, I think, is part of the dichotomy that you see where uh, there are some buying groups that still have disposable income and are still able to maneuver through these environments. And then you have other consumers that, while we have near full employment, have really reached the uh, end of being able to make some large discretionary purchases. And so I think we're, we're really seeing that bifurcation. And certain companies like Lulu are doing quite well and able to navigate through that because they benefit from some of the tailwinds of fitness and nutrition. But there are other signs that we see through some of our um, payments companies and others more broadly where you're beginning to see those cracks emerge. Okay. More will be revealed. David Musifer of Advent International, thanks for joining me here on set. Thanks for having me.
John? Great broad perspective you got there from Musifer, yeah. Uh, analyst calls, meanwhile, from Microsoft, Visa, and Snap are about to get underway. Investors are going to be closely watching Snap after it gave up a double-digit pop. We will uh, get you caught up on all the after-hours earners next. Two mega-cap tech stocks reporting this hour. Opposite reactions from investors who are cheering uh, Microsoft's Azure revenue growth reacceleration less pleased with Alphabet's cloud numbers and check out on the smaller side, Boyd Gaming under pressure after Q3 earnings missed estimates. CEO Keith Smith saying in the release, results were impacted by declines in play from our retail customers and ongoing cost pressures, both related to the challenging economic environment. Morgan. Well, another earnings mover from this morning, RTX. Those shares had their best day since 2020 after reporting Q3's Q3 results, finishing the day up 7%. I sat down exclusively with Chairman and CEO Greg Hayes this morning. He said the geopolitical landscape is the, quote, most muddled he has seen in his three decades in the industry. We ended the quarter with a backlog in our defense business of about $75 billion, and we know there's more to come. The fact is, uh, there is a lot of work to do in terms of ramping up the industrial base uh, to meet this unprecedented demand. Again, the the war in Ukraine does not end soon. It's unfortunate it continues, but there is going to be a significant need, not just for munitions for the battlefield, but also to replenish the war stocks that we have been providing Ukraine. Uh, The war in uh, uh, Gaza or in Israel, again, a tragic situation. Uh, It will eventually lead to additional uh, orders. Well, meeting the growing demand for defense will hinge on the supply chain as well, which has struggled industry-wide since the pandemic. He said as far as electronics go, things are mostly sorted out, but the challenges remain for complex machine parts, for example. John? Oh, all right. Well, up next, an analyst's first reaction to snap earnings and the stock's wild after-hours moves. We'll be right back. Check out shares of Snap, seeing an initial surge on earnings after beating on the top and bottom lines, but it's since given up all those gains, and it's now lower by almost 2%. Joining us now to break down the results is Rohit Kalkarni, uh, Roth MKM Managing Director. Rohit, welcome. So, I mean, even though Alphabet and Snap are both down right now after hours, when I look at the fundamentals of what they reported, isn't this a positive read-through for Meta? If anything, I mean, Google Search and other beat by almost a billion dollars, and YouTube ads was just about in line. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, uh, Meta read-throughs are positive. The overall ad spend, ad ecosystem read-throughs are positive. Um, YouTube, Search, and even Snap, all three of them are outperforming expectations on the top line. Regardless of the stock reaction, that's a fun expectations game and some minor uh, misses on the cloud as well as exec reshuffle on Snap. So, but at a very high level, uh, what we are seeing in the ad market, it's stable, it's growing and accelerating. Okay, so tell me then about the expectations for Meta. That stock, from what I can see, is down about a percent after hours. Maybe it should be, maybe it shouldn't be. Uh, any any dangers you see on the expense line? There had been some concerns about how much Meta was spending on the metaverse, but investors seem to have turned away from that lately. Um, there are still concerns on the margin when it comes to how much more are they willing to spend on the metaverse. Uh, that gap or the the width of uh, how wide the dispersion is from uh, 
the spend expectations is wide. That makes me a little bit worried. So, which essentially means that somebody is going to be uh, disappointed tomorrow. People who are expecting at the low end versus high end, somebody is going to be disappointed. So that that's the hair on the stock right now. Uh, on on the bottom line, about 24 expectations. But the top line, uh, I feel, uh, Meta is the fastest growing ad company right now in this uh, ecosystem, and that's what they're going to prove tomorrow. So then would you be buying Meta here on the dip? Uh, yes, absolutely. I think uh, Meta has, is the cheapest, uh, most free cash flow generating mega cap and, uh, and probably the fastest growing mega cap right now, and that's why we would be buying. So Rohit, uh, how do the comps look year over year, given that we're not talking about those uh, iOS headwinds anymore, and it seems that a lot of these advertising-driven companies have figured out the targeting issues? Um, the comps are still easier as the year progresses. Uh, so remember last year, Q4 was, uh, was a little bit slower for Meta as compared to, say, Google uh, and uh, Google Search as such. So from optics standpoint, comps are easier for Meta, relatively speaking. So the expectation is Meta continues to accelerate in, from 3Q to 4Q, and that's where uh, kind of high, higher end buy side bogies are around mid 20 growth rate uh, for 4Q is what they would probably end up guiding. So that's uh, those are the comps, but still uh, from an Apple headwind standpoint, that also kind of uh, disproves the hypothesis that um, fundamentally Meta is a broken company now. They're coming back, so that, that's uh, that's why we like Meta here, and I feel uh, um, buying on uh, weakness uh, in Google stock is. Uh, is the right move for Meta. Are we still in early innings in terms of the AI applications and deployment versus investment here? Or do we already sort of have a sense of who the market leaders are going to be, especially when you look at an alphabet, for example? I think uh, we are still very early. In terms of uh, uh, experiments turning into real uh, kind of uh, real world use cases, into commercialization, into monetization, and then that virtuous cycle looping back into bigger experiments, bigger uh, commercializations as such. I think we are still in the first kind of uh, cycle as such. The first cycle we'll probably see that happen internally with all these advertising technology companies applying AI internally and then you can expand that externally. So it's, it's, it's still going to be a long virtuous cycle. Uh, and if you have a longer term horizon, I think all these companies, Google and Facebook, are, uh, are uh, going to show significant upside. All right, Rohit, thank you. Uh, that, that certainly sets us up for a, an interesting continuation to this huge week, Morgan, of earnings. That's right. And, and the deluge of results will continue tomorrow, including here on Overtime with more mega cap tech meta tomorrow. That's going to do it for us here at Overtime.